Good morning, church. Um, I am Brian. I'm one of the other pastors here, and uh, we're going to be reading out of uh, Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. And so would you uh, remain standing for the reading of God's word? Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, well, um, I forgot to introduce myself. Brian, Brian did a good job remembering that. I see a lot of new faces every week. I don't know how I forget to do this every week, but my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. Brian is our other pastor. Um, thank you for gathering with us this morning and worshiping. Um, we knew that our baby would be coming somewhere around last week and this week, and so we planned strategically, wisely, uh, that we would have guest preachers so that the full load of being here throughout the week and what we do throughout the week and preaching would not fall on Brian. We also know that we have a wealth of um, preachers and pastors that are equipped, that are qualified, that are filled with the Holy Spirit to come and preach the word at Redeemer um, through our network, the Redeemer Network. Um, that's how we got our name. I know it sounded like we just picked that on our own, but um, now we're, we're more boring than you might think. Um, I want to introduce real quick the Redeemer Network because we talk about it every now and then. We have people come in from Redeemer um, or uh, you might hear us just kind of briefly uh, mention it in passing. This graphic here shows all of the Redeemer Network churches that have been planted uh, over the last, I think it's like 21 or 22 years. Um, you don't have to know the names, but just look how many dots there are. We have made a commitment as a network to be a church, or a, a church planting network. That means that we are churches that partner together to equip and resource financially or in terms of um, training and studies and experience. We work together to plant more churches. And you can see that the Lord has been faithful to that vision. That beginning with number one, that's Redeemer Lubbock. This is where this all kind of started from. Churches are planting churches. Now, Ryan and I, uh, this is Ryan Henson. He and his wife, Jessica, uh, from Clyde, lived really around the metro, came back to Clyde slash Abilene um, within the last few years. They felt called to plant a church. They weren't really sure where exactly, and so they just waited on the Lord. They prayed fervently, and they continued in the residency. Ryan, just like I did, raised his own uh, funds for his salary throughout his training, which is a big deal. When you, you've got three kids and a wife and a home. Yeah. 
raising salary is a big deal. That's a lot of faith. And, and I know one thing that we've actually talked about in the past is how that fundraising is probably the most refining part of residency um, because it's where you have to put the most faith in what the Lord has called you to do. And so Ryan and Jessica stepped out, put their faith in the call um, that the Spirit was leading them to plant a church, and, and they're going to end up planting in Clyde, Texas, just outside of Abilene. And so um, their church is going to be called The Table. I've seen the graphic. It looks great. Uh, it's simple. Uh, it's unique. Um, but Ryan's dad is also a pastor in Clyde. So what a great picture of the gospel that Ryan and Jessica can come into Clyde where their family is already pastoring a church and be unified with them and say, hey, this is not a competition. We are unified in the gospel and make disciples together. How great is that? And so, um, Ryan, thank you for, for serving us this morning, for preaching. Um, we, we hope to have you back soon, but and you got your hands full with three kids and a church to plant. Uh, so yeah. thank you for taking time to, to come preach for us this morning. Yeah. I'll let you get started. Yeah, sounds good. I'm excited to be here. Uh, like Ryan said, I am from the big city of Clyde, uh, so the St. Angel is like, like huge to us. Uh, that's not necessarily true. Uh, but uh, one thing Ryan didn't say is also I love history. Uh, I, if I wasn't a pastor, um, if our church plant goes under and I have to find a job, I will be a history teacher at a high school. That is what I love. And growing up in Texas, one of the things that you, are, you, you learn from like kindergarten on is the Alamo. Right, that is kind of what defines Texas is this, this battle that happens where we lose and everyone dies, but they are able to fend off the Mexican army long enough so that uh, the other army can come in and defeat the Mexican army. But there's this uh, legend that goes along with the Alamo. Uh, when I was a kid, we would watch the John Wayne version of the Alamo. I don't know if you've seen that or not. It was on VHS. Uh, and it was two VHSs. I guess it was so long that you had to, like, in the middle, take one out, put one in the Kind of like the Titanic was, I think, the same way. Uh, but there's a scene uh, that is, is legend is that Santa Anna sends a messenger to William Travis and tells him to surrender or die. Right? And so they, they have this, this, this uh, opportunity to make the decision, do we stay and fight and, and likely all of us die or do we surrender and save ourselves? And so the legend goes that Travis takes out his sword, he draws a line in the sand, and he says, if you are with me and going to fight with me, step across this line. And the legend goes that all of them except for one cross over. Uh, even uh, Jim Bowie, Davy Crockett, all those guys that, that become these Texas heroes cross the line knowing that they're going to die. Travis then responds to Santa Ana by blowing or by, by shooting off a cannon, saying, we're going to fight. Santa Ana plays the song, El Gallo, meaning everyone would die. Right? It's this, this moment of everyone saying, I'm, going, I'm willing to fight until death because I know how great the cause is. Right? In our passage this morning in Matthew 16, we kind of see the same idea. Maybe not as, as, as so much as they're all going to die. This idea that Jesus has been with them for three years, they've been watching him, and now Jesus wants to know, are you with me? Are you with me? Are you going to be with me as, as I am going to leave this earth? And you're going to be here alone to, be, to start this church, what we've seen grow over the thousands of years that Jesus has been gone. 
are you with me? See, the timeline is, in Matthew 16, as John the Baptist dies, Jesus feeds the 5,000. He walks on water. People are touching his garments and being healed. Uh, he feeds 4,000. Right before this passage, Pharisees and Sadducees are asking for a sign. And then we find this passage. So I'm going to read this passage one more time. I know we just read it. If I can find it. I didn't put it in my... All right, here we go. That's the problem with iPhones, right? You don't... You can't just press a button and, and it shows up. Matthew 16, verse 13 says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Before we go further, I want us to pray. I know we've prayed a lot, and, uh, but I, I want us to just take a second right before we dive into getting into what God has for this morning. I want you to take a second and pray for yourself. So I mean, I know we've already experienced uh, some silence, uh, which I love. I'm introverted. I'm all about like no one talk. Let's just be silent for a little bit. Uh, but I want to give you five seconds this morning to ask God to speak to you this morning. Uh, if you're like us, Jessica and I, uh, we took two of our kids uh, to my parents this morning at 7.30, uh, we and one of them's in the nursery, and we just kind of took off, woke up, uh, going 100 miles an hour, uh, get here, meet with people, and now I'm on stage preaching. And so let's take five seconds, maybe not for you, but for me at least, and center ourselves this morning. So I'm going to give you five seconds to pray that God speaks to you this morning. Now that you've prayed for yourself shortly, I want you to ask that you will just take five seconds and pray for me. Pray that God speaks through me. So let me give you five seconds to pray for me. God, I'm grateful to be here, got to be in a church that uh, is faithful. God, I pray as we have this time to get into your word, God, that there's probably a lot of things that could be distracting in this moment. But I, I pray that we will be focused on you. God, that you will give us the message that we need this morning. God, that you'll allow me uh, to step back and, and not be about myself, but be for you, God. God, I'm thankful for this opportunity to be with each other this morning. We thank you, we love you. Amen. And so everything has led up to this moment. Right? They've been following after Christ, following after Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. They follow him for three years, and now it's like this final exam almost. But he first, the first question he asks is he asks, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Right? Who are they, what are they saying about me? 
right? What, what are they saying? And they're standing in this place in Caesarea Philippi uh, where pagan worship would be taking place all the time. They're standing in this place where there's been conflict between nations, uh, basically from the beginning of time, uh, which still happens between Syria and Israel. It's also a very Gentile location. So it's almost like this cultural center of this, of this, uh, this time period. It says, what does the culture say about me? What are the people saying about me? And they answer, a prophet, right? They answer all these uh, different things. They say, uh, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And we get the idea that Jesus is asking this question more than once. Right? The Greek kind of points to that, that he's asking this disciple, what, what are the people saying? What are the people saying? And each one of them is answering a different thing that they're saying. Also, what's interesting about Jesus is Jesus is not a normal teacher. Right? In this day, teachers did not ask questions. Right? The student would follow behind, literally follow behind the teacher, and the student would be continually asking questions. But here, we see that Jesus is the one asking the question. They say, the people are saying, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, other prophets. There's conversation happening. And these aren't bad things. Right, if you were to tell me, hey, you are like John the Baptist, you are like Jeremiah, you are like Elijah or another prophet, I would be excited about that. Because these are great people of the faith, revered by the Jewish people, revered by us today. So the people viewed him as a spokesperson for God. They knew he had some sort of authority, but they were missing the mark. It was ultimately inadequate. And so then Jesus, in verse 15 turns it on them. He says to them, but who do you say that I am? I, mean, I, I think it's almost like Jesus drawing a line like William Travis, saying, who do you say that I am? I've been with you for three years. Are you getting this? Who do you say that I am? After everything that we've been through, and remember, there's this conversation going right before this, right? Jesus is asking them, and they're answering. They're, they're talking. There's a conversation, and Jesus asks this question, and there's only one that speaks, which is obviously Peter. I think Peter gets a bad rap, though. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think he was like this loud mouth. I think he was also very bold in his faith. Uh, but this leader of the disciples, Peter says, you are the one we have been waiting for. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of God, Son of the living God. I think this is a passage that we probably know, we've read. We refer to Jesus as Christ flippantly, often, right? That's just something that is, we come, we call ourselves Christians. And so this idea of Christ sometimes gets lost, right? This idea of Christ is that this is the one from the very beginning in Genesis when, when the fall happens and God says, there's going to be someone that I raise up to crush Satan. It's the one that is like the perfect Passover. The Passover's pointing to Jesus. It is the perfect David. It's the one that the prophets had been talking about. So the Jewish people, these disciples, had been raised waiting for this day when the Christ, the Messiah, the Redeemer is going to come. And this is the first time we see someone call Jesus the Christ. He says, you are the Christ. You are the one we've been waiting for. You are the Son of God. And he adds, living. Right? They're standing 
in this pagan area with idols around them saying, you are the son of God, not just a God, but the living God. The same thing that God said when Jesus was baptized, that this is his son. So the question I think that we can ask ourselves in reading a passage like this is who do we say that Jesus is? Right? We say that he is Christ, he's the son of the living God, but I think it goes further than that. It's not just what we say, but it's how do we live? Right? What does our life say that Jesus is? What is our, how we spend our money, who does that say that Jesus is? What does our time say that Jesus is? How do we raise our kids? How do we make life decisions? How, how do we do all these things? How does that, what we do, say who Jesus is? So we know that Peter goes on and, and is a very important figure in the church in Acts. Right? He doesn't just say that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, but he goes and he believes it and he, and, he, and, he, and he does great things in Acts because of it. So Peter says, Jesus, you are the Christ. And then Jesus responds with the benefits that come with confessing that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Look at verse 17. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Right, when I read this, I think of uh, a moment when uh, my kids finally do what they're supposed to do without me asking them to do it, right? It's like you, you do know how to put your shirt on, right? That's awesome. I'm excited for you, right? You do know how to be compassionate. I'm excited. And you see this, this almost joy, relief in Jesus. It says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Right? And I think when, when the Jewish readers, they would maybe think of Simon's, some Peter's dad, right? Father. That's what Bar-Jonah means, son of Jonah. But also Jewish readers would think of another character, right? They would think of the prophet Jonah, right? The prophet that did not want to follow God, did not want to go and tell the Ninevites about God. Because why? Because he knew that God was gracious and loving and he hated the Ninevites. And he wanted the Ninevites to die. That's the gist of the book of Jonah. And so Jesus is saying, Peter, who is a son of a rebellious prophet, you get it. Why do you get it? Look at the next sentence. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you because you are the son of a rebellious prophet, but my Father who is in heaven. But you see what's going on. If you look at the previous passage, Sadducees and Pharisees are demanding a sign from God. So just show us. Right, right, just just show us, bring down angels, bring down God, do something and show us that you are the Messiah. And we have Peter here saying, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, the only way you know that is because of my Father in heaven. Because God has revealed that to you. Because Simon Peter was a fallen human. How could he grasp that Jesus was fully man and fully God without God revealing that to him? Which is a stark contrast to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Verse 18, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now this text is, is, is debated um, for centuries, right? There's a divide between uh, Protestants and Catholics. Uh, there's a divide between Protestants and Protestants. What is the rock? 
Is Peter the rock? This is kind of where uh, the Roman Catholic Church gets their view of the Pope, saying that Peter was the first Pope, saying that, hey, this, this right here is, is what it's saying. Um, but what's, what, what's really being said? And so I, I'm not here to have the final say on this. I can tell you what I believe is being said. Uh, and you can say I'm wrong, and that's fine. I could be wrong. Now, I don't know. Um, but if you look at the Greek, right, Jesus gives Peter the name Peter. He calls him Petros, meaning this small, isolated rock. And so he says, on this, uh, he says, you are Petros, and on this, it's a different word, Petra. On this bedrock or large, solid rock, I will build my church. So Jesus could have said, you are Petros, and on this Petros, hope I'm not losing you, uh, but he didn't. See, I don't think that the, the, the rock is Peter. A couple verses down, Jesus actually calls Peter Satan. So uh, maybe that isn't the case. But I believe that the rock is the doctrine of Peter. Right? The rock is the confession of Peter. Right? The rock is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe that that is the rock. Right, you look at Scripture, you look at New Testament, Paul calls Jesus the chief cornerstone. He calls him the foundation. Even Peter calls Jesus the living stone. Jesus says he is the builder of the church. And the good news is this rock is a refuge of protection from the gates of hell. No matter how the church is attacked, it won't be extinguished if the foundation is that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior the Christ, which is good news. You see, the good news is that we do not build the church locally or universally. It's not about style. I think when looking in church planning, uh, you're like, oh, well, I can have a trendy name or I can have a good logo or or I can have a good style or a cool building. This is a really sweet building. I've never been here. This is a cool building. I'm envious of, well, I don't have a building, so that's one thing. I'm envious of that. Uh, But it's not about that. Right? It's not about Ryan or Brian. It's not about whoever is in charge or whoever's pastor or style or carpet or any of this. Right? It says that Jesus builds his church, and he does it through believers who confess that he is Lord. Jesus says, I will build my church, not us. See, when you live a life that says that Jesus is the Christ, then you become a small rock, a part of the bigger rock. See, we're not called to say we are believers and not gather with one another, which you know that because you are gathering with one another. Right? You, as believers, are to be with a group of believers that are confessing that Jesus is Lord and work together to accomplish God's goal in a local church. And the good news is Jesus says the gates of hell cannot overcome it if it is focused on the fact that Jesus Christ is the Savior and Messiah. Jesus goes on, verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, which loosed is a really weird word to say. Jesus concludes his teaching to the disciples after Peter's confession by saying that they now have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
See, we are the ones that provide the opportunity for others to hear about the Christ, the Son of the living God. I don't know why God did it this way, but he made us ambassadors. He made us spokesperson. Fault, failed, uh, fault is not what I meant to say. Flawed, failed, sons of Jonah, rebellious prophets. That is what God has said. Hey, you are to be the ambassadors. You are to be the spokesperson for the eternal creator of the world. And that's not easy. But that is what God has called us to do. See, we, we, I think it's easy to say that Jesus is Lord. It's easy to maybe even get to a place where we live our life for Christ. But getting people to know who Jesus is by being the spokesperson, that's hard. What I love about the church and in this room is it's not a room of a bunch of pastors. Right? If all Christians were just pastors, there wouldn't be as much in the world. I work at the well right now. Uh, there's probably 10, 12 people on staff. I don't know how many people are on staff. Um, but everyone I work with is a believer. Right? But, but people in this room that, that have professions outside of the church have a unique opportunity to share Christ to your jobs. What else I love about the church is that when we send you out, you go to your home, and you live in neighborhoods. You live by people that you can share Christ with. Maybe you go to college, or you're in high school, or junior high, and you go out, and you go to universities, and you go to high schools and junior highs that have people that are lost. Now, there's a scariness to that, but the good news is that you're not alone. You're not alone that God is with you, but you're not alone that your church is with you. See, the hope is that your church is unified in your proclamation that Jesus is the Lord, that he is Christ, that he is the Son of the living God. That is what unifies you. That is what binds you. Right? Nothing else, not that maybe you got burned by a church across town, or uh, maybe you really like Ryan or you really like Brian, or whatever, that's not what binds you. Worship style doesn't bind you. Preaching style doesn't bind you. Free coffee doesn't bind you. What binds you is your proclamation that Jesus is Lord. You're unified in that. And, and we live in a world that wants to get more and more divided by the day. And not only do they want to be divided, they want to tell you if you're on this side, you can't be friends with these people on this side. If you're this race, you can't be friends with people on this race. If you have this much money, you can't be friends with people on this much money. Right? A divided world. But when we come in here, the divisions stop because we can proclaim that Christ is Lord together as one, and that's all that matters. That's why Paul writes in Galatians, Chapter 3, verse 28, says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. When you think about the first church, you had Jews, Greeks, Romans. You had slaves. You had masters. You had male, female, all these things, all these types of people coming together, which did not happen in that day, but they could sit right next to each other. Not because they were nice or because uh, 
whatever reason, but the only reason they could sit next to each other is because they were unified in their proclamation that Jesus is Lord. See, Redeemer, St. Angelo, is being built, it's being established on the foundation that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son, the living God. And this is what unifies you. As one family, proclaiming that Jesus is Lord to each other, right, lifting each other up in joy, but also hurting when others are hurting, a place where we can fail, a place that we can sin and, and, and get through that and confess. A family proclaiming that Jesus is Lord to your neighbors, to your workplace, and to your city. Right? The hope is not that Redeemer St. Angel has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people 10 years from now but that it is proclaiming that Jesus is Lord and that the city feels that. That you feel that. That your neighbors feel that. See, God has big plans for Redeemer when you stand unified in Christ. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. This morning we have an opportunity to be unified in communion. Right, this outward example of us as one proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. By confessing that Jesus' body was broken for us, we take the bread. Confessing that his blood was poured out for us, we take the cup. And we look to the future knowing that one day we will all be praising God and proclaiming that Jesus is Lord together, all nations, all peoples. And so this morning, you are welcome at the table if you are a believer. There's uh, two tables in the back and one to my left. But this is our opportunity to proclaim together that Jesus is Lord by remembering what he's done and looking to the future. Let me pray. God, thank you for Redeemer St. Angelo. I thank you for Ryan and Brian. God, I thank you for people here that have committed to this church. God, I pray that Redeemer never wavers from proclaiming that you are Lord, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. God, I just pray that this, the people in this room will have a huge impact in their workplace, their neighborhoods, um, God, wherever they live and do life. God, we thank you for your blood that was spilled for us. We thank you for your body that was broken for us this morning as we take communion.